Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome along to this very special episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm Paul Spain, and this episode I'll be speaking with Graham Mitchell, who is the CEO of Crown Fibre Holdings, uh, which also happens to be a customer of, uh, of my firm, Gorilla Technology. Graham, great to, great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be here. Now, um, tell us a little bit about, just as a background, where Crown Fibre fits into the picture as far as uh, ultra-fast broadband for New Zealanders is concerned. Yeah, well, Crown Fibre Holdings is a Crown-owned company. It was established by the government to fund the private sector partners for the ultra-fast broadband rollout. So effectively, government voted about one3 Five billion dollars to the initiative, and we're charged with investing that with the private sector partners which we've selected, which is Chorus, which is the spin-off of Telecom, Well Networks, Electricity Lines Company based in Hamilton, who cover Tauranga, New Plymouth, and Wanganui, as well for the initiative. Uh, Christchurch City Holdings through their subsidiary Enable, doing Christchurch, and North Power doing uh, Fongaray. Great, and uh, you know how's how's that uh, how's that rollout going? How's that process going? Because this is a pretty uh, you know, pretty long process, isn't it? I think when it was announced, we were told this would uh, you know this would take about a decade to do. Um, how are we tracking? Uh, well, we're going to do it in less than a decade. We're going to do it by the end of this decade. Mm. Um, but it's tracking. We're, we're, we're on plan. Uh, largely at this stage is um, that the build is going quite uh, significant at the moment. You know, we're passing in the order of. 16 to 20,000 homes or buildings, premises and businesses a month now with the build, so that's a lot. It is uh, a little bit, it's a fairly heavy build period at the moment just as we come up to the end of autumn. Um, but, you know, we're getting centres fairly soon as Whangarei will be complete um, very early next year. It'll be the first full centre fully built. That's great. Yeah, and then a number of the other centres, you're talking about, you know, your Hamiltons and your Tauranga's probably within a year's time will be 60% complete, fourth and fifth largest cities. Um, some of your smaller towns, places such as the fortunate people in Taupo and uh, Timaru and that, they'll be about um, two-thirds or 75% done within a year's time. Hmm. So there's quite a lot of progress out there. The bigger markets such as uh, the Auckland's and the Wellington's and uh, Christchurch are much bigger areas will take a little bit longer to build and they will be built, but they will be still be complete by the end of 2019. Great, and uh, what are the uh, you know what are the challenges to uh, you know to getting fibre rolled out to, to homes and businesses and, and schools? What makes it difficult? What makes it take uh, a, lo- a long time? Our geology and how we decide to live in New Zealand. The uh, quarter acre section, as it was called in the fifties, is uh, as everybody knows. Uh, we all live in like to live in a house on a quarter acre section. So there's a lot of frontage we actually have to build past, uh, much more so than uh, other comparable markets. So because of our very, you know, low urban density in New Zealand, you know, for example, Auckland uh, has the same population of Philadelphia. But, you know, 10 times uh, worse uh, urban density than Philadelphia. So it's just so much more expensive for us to build. Or Greater Auckland is about the same size as Sydney, but it's one and a half million people in it. Right. So that's a challenge. We also live in a volcanic country. So there's a lot of hard rock under there where we are go- where their partners are going underground. They choose how they deploy. Um, and obviously in the built-up areas, when you're building an overlay network, there is you know, footpaths to deal with roads, verges, 
things like that and and there's a lot of utilities in New Zealand that are actually underground as well um, so it's making sure that they are all um, covered uh, as well as they go so that, that are the sorts of challenges the partners are, are having but they yeah we're reasonably pleased with how they're sort of motoring with the build at the moment Oh, that's great. Yeah, I guess it would be uh, much easier if we were, uh, you know, somewhere like Singapore or uh, or Hong Kong, where at very high density, some of those sort of parts of the world. Or do, do those areas bring their own challenges with, you know, apartment buildings bring, and things like that? Because we don't have many of those here. Yeah, they bring sort of different challenges. The advantages with those markets here is most of the deployment in the streets already, what they call through conduit or existing piping, so you, mm. can, you don't have to dig the street up. And then to get into high rises. It, because they mainly live in high-rise apartments is is a little bit more challenging to work with building owners and things like that. We have a few instances of those, and particularly in Auckland and Wellington, but in Tauranga and uh, parts of Christchurch as well, parts of Dunedin, um, but nowhere near of that scale. And I mean, where, how does New Zealand compare with other uh, other countries around the world? You know, it seems that uh, that you know putting fibre optic internet connections in is uh, you know is the way to go. As far as a lot of governments are certainly deciding that, but um, you know, are there many other countries that are um, where New Zealand is at or or ahead of us? Uh, there are a few ahead, a few thinking about and looking at what we're doing, and and a few behind. So. The, the leaders in uh, putting fibre optics into people's homes and businesses were South Korea. They started in the year 2000. And they're now looking at upgrading their networks to gigabit. They've got yeah, upwards of 90% coverage in their country and very high penetrations. Uh, Japan would be next. The large um, operator up there um, has about 40 million fibre connections. Um, so that are two leaders. Singapore's recently completed their build. Um, which was a government initiative. It's an open access network like ours here in New Zealand, which means all players can actually use the network. And they're now at about 26% uptake okay. and growing at about 2% a month. And they've been, they're about four years into the initiative, four to five years. So they're motoring along quite well. Malaysia has got a similar sort of fibre initiative going to ours um, through government sponsorship. Um, and they're currently at about 37% penetration, hmm. about 1 million homes passed. And Australia is, is, is significantly larger than ours. They're spending upwards of $40 billion Australian dollars, and they're covering 92% of their population with fibre. And uh, so the initiative's much larger in scale, but uh, a little bit further behind than us in actual build. It's incredible the difference in their investment compared to uh, ours that they're uh, that they're having to uh, to put in to make that possible. Bearing in mind their population isn't that many times bigger than ours, but the investment's a lot bigger. Yeah, well, the policy here that the government took apart was a public-private sector partnership. So, the government is putting some you know a sizable amount of money into the initiative, but we're also partnering with the private sector for the balance. So, um, well, in Australia, it's one hundred percent government funded, and they also are looking at um, fully connecting all the customers as they go because they actually have purchased the uh, existing. Copper network from Telstra, who which is the old equivalent, probably of Chorus here in New Zealand. Mm. So mm. that um, so a, a slightly different sort of strategy. Mm. Now you you mentioned uh, South Korea having uh, you know rolled rolled these out um, you know quite quite some time ago, uh, and now looking to move on to uh, you know gigabit type uh, network speeds. Now uh, you know here we're looking at um, you know, hundred megabits for certainly for uh, for home uh, users. Is there a uh, you know is there a reasonably natural upgrade path that uh, you know is is likely to be um, uh, yeah likely to happen in the future there? 
Yeah, well, the technology, the fibre underground is it almost has infinite capacity, mm. so it can be upgraded just by changing the electronics at either end. And the requirements that the government has with the partners is that the network has to be capable of at least 10 times 100 megabits. Um, so it's designed to actually go to a gigabit. And when you know, customers require those types of services, mm. bear in mind we're just going from a country at the moment it has got 4 megabits per second on average mm. to 100 megabits per second um, across the market then to go to a gigabit. Um, if the demand is there, that will certainly happen. You, you are seeing gigabits networks emerge quite a lot internationally. There, Hong Kong has, has a gigabit network with 12,000 customers on it. There's a telco in Vermont in the US is just rolling out a gigabit. Google in Kansas and now in Austin, uh, Texas is running out uh, gigabit type services. So there, are, there is an increasing move there, but it, you know, it really does depend on customer demand. If the customer demand is there, mm, the network is certainly capable of meeting that demand. Mm. Oh, it's great to uh, great to know what's being uh, what's being put in place. Uh, it gives us some some great options mm. for the for the future. Uh, now, um, you know, I guess looking at uh, you know the the use of of fibre of ultra fast broadband, uh, you know, it seems New Zealand. Are um, you know are keen adopters of uh, of technology, but we're still really getting to grips with ultra fast broadband because it's so new. It's you know but it hasn't um, got to uh, the majority of the population yet. Um, what are the things that you've seen that are being done sort of internationally to make use of uh, uh, ultra fast broadband to really uh, you know benefit from it that maybe um, you know that stood out to you. Yeah, I think you've got to look at the different sectors. So the, the prime focus of government here initially is to focus on the um, schools, businesses and health sector and then residential following that um, with um, new subdivisions. So if we look at schools, is yeah, that's been used quite widely through um, networked learning or virtual classrooms where you know, a student can be in one school network um, through video conference over the fibre to another school or participate and collaborate. We're starting to see some of that emerge here already. Schools have the highest percentage uptake of any sector at the moment in UFB or fibre and the Network for Learning which is the government's initiative which they're currently um, in in the final throes of um, putting in place will be um, provide all those educational services essentially in the cloud to all the schools. Mm. So we think that sector's going to adopt quite quickly. That'll probably mean a bit of pressure on parents at home to upgrade their networks with mm. children are on uh, fibre networks at school, which basically have very high speeds. If you look at the health sectors internationally, um, fibre provides a very good benefit for um, remote telemedicine or, or video conferencing. So mm. if we look at the Pittsburgh Institute of Medical uh, research up in the US um, basically they'll use this quite extensively for a number of different surgeries when they need to bring in remote surgeons for expertise um, particularly in some of the more complex uh, type surgeries as well so they can actually bring a pool of um, surgeons in and they can actually help their surgeon on the spot basically using uh, high tech high definition video conferencing mm. so yeah, neurosurgeon and Case Western which is up in uh, Ohio which is a large University there, they have a gigabit services going to around their campus, and the neurosurgeons will practice at night on 3D imagery back from home into the hospital using 768 megabits per second on that network. So when they get into the theatre, they're that much more productive. Going to neurosurgery is so expensive. So that's the sort of things you can do in medical and business. It enables really businesses to centralise their computing, um, so they don't have to have it distributed. Uh, video conferencing to save travel and things like that. And if you look at the household. 
uh, in the US with the large fibre networks that have been built up there. Um, Verizon is a large carrier, has built about 20 million, past 20 million homes. You've seen about a 12% lift in people starting home businesses because of bandwidth, which is quite significant. That's great. It's um, going to be good for a country like ours. That's right. Mm. Well, New Zealand has a very high instance of home business, and mm. most home businesses in New Zealand are export businesses by definition. Um, and then secondly, see entertainment services. Um, so in the US at the moment, there's between, you know, Prime TV time, which is sort of 8 p.m. to midnight in the U.S. now, 65% of the internet now is real-time video streaming, which is essentially movies delivered to the television mm. or catch-up TV delivered to the large 52-inch screen, mm-hmm. of which a company over there called Netflix, which offers for about $8 unlimited movies a month, um, that's half it. 33% of the U.S. internet is now streaming movies to your TV in the home and they've got about 30 million customers about 30% of US households so in the entertainment area gamers love fibre because uh, it's low latency so all the computer gamers people using Xbox online and Playstation online uh, Wii etc or any of the other type gaming services because it's such low latency which means essentially the speed that the traffic goes through the network is what's called latency um, they can obviously win or beat <laughs> their competitors quicker because they're actually faster. So, mm-hmm. um, so gamers really do love fibre networks and are very strong early adopters uh, internationally. Great. And, uh, you know, what are the things that you're, I guess, you're hoping that we'll see coming into New Zealand off the back of ultra-fast broadband, um, you know, particularly from the, the, you know, internet providers or retail service providers that are uh, here in New Zealand? What are sort of some of the opportunities of things that they, uh, they might be able to deliver? Well, I think it gives them a platform to innovate. You, you know, sort of prime focus, as I mentioned, as government is around You've seen those extra services going to education first, um, seen the um, retailers working with uh, the health providers to provide those services. There's just been one other retailer just recently, one the contract to connect all the local GP offices up to the UFB, mm. or the ultra-fast fibre network, so that's going to be quite good. Offering new services to businesses, particularly New Zealand, where it's largely a small, medium enterprise base. Mm. Um, there's lots of services there that can be shared, you know, cloud computing, um, renting your applications rather than having to buy them. Mm. Backups, I think, is important. You know, following a Christchurch earthquake, being able to back up your whole business remotely using fibre is, I think, very important for business, because then if you do have a natural disaster like that, you can just relocate and access all your data and your, and your applications, mm-hmm. which today you can't. And then probably not so much from a government perspective, but you know, from a personal perspective, it would be great to see some of those entertainment services and gaming services and those things that we actually see, particularly in the North American market, to some degree mm-hmm. in the European market and a little bit in Asia, actually merge down here as well. Yeah, well, it's, that's certainly an area that has always had a lot of interest uh, with the podcast listeners on, you know, how do we jump through some hoops to get access to those those services. But obviously, uh, you know, it's going to be really beneficial, uh, you know, when those things become, you know, I guess, you know, directly available here in, uh, in New Zealand. Yeah, that'll come. It will take time. Yeah, our bandwidth needs to grow more than four megabits per second on average as a nation. Mm. We're, we're about 46th in the world at the moment, so we need to... And that's obviously why the government is investing in fibre, because mm. all the high mm. bandwidth countries in the world are on fibre. Um, and that's why the government sort of viewed it as an infrastructure for the future and a critical enabler 
footy economy. Mm. Now, numbers that we've heard recently are indicating that uh, you know usage of data from uh, you know mobile devices as well as uh, from uh, you know fixed internet connections in New Zealand seems to be sort of doubling year on year. Does that line up with what you're sort of hearing you know internationally? Is there just you know do you expect uh, you know the the usage of uh, of internet data through you know all of these mechanisms to uh, to keep growing at that sort of uh, you know exponential rate? Yeah, absolutely. If the services are developed here, you certainly see that happening. Mm. You know, in the US, uh, an average family with like two or three teenage children will be, be consuming three to four hundred gigabits of data a month. Substantial amount of that is streaming movies or um, putting real time video onto YouTube or Facebook. Um, uploading is, is big when you get these networks as well. And when you think about it, an average movie high definition is about four to six gigabits. Um, an ultra high definition movie is actually like uh, 10,000, I think, gigabits. Yeah. So um, when those sorts of high end video applications start appearing on the market, you will see a, a lot of data application, but it does come mm. down to mm. the services being provided. Mm. Mm. Now, um, in terms of um, uh, the areas in New Zealand uh, where where you've seen, you know, UFBs already gone in, are there any particular areas you've seen really, you know, really smart uses of um, of ultra fast broadband to date? Well, not so much areas, but I think segments uh, is quite interesting to see, particularly in businesses, what they are actually doing with the fibre. So we had a case here in Auckland, up on the North Shore, um, where a uh, panel beater actually connected to the ultra-fast broadband initiative, and people wonder, uh, panel beater, why? Well, today they actually take digital photos of your car when you drive into a lamppost or someone else drives into that. Mm. And then you know, a digital image today on a um, camera can be up to 10, 12 megabytes. And then they upload, you know, 10, 20, 30 of those to an insurance company's website to do a remote um, assessment of that to um, be able to get the repair done. And they've, they found 14 to 15% productivity improvement by actually doing that over the fibre because mm-hmm. you can upload things so much faster on fibre, you know, 10 to 30 times faster on fibre than what you can on existing networks. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing things like that actually starting to happen. You're starting to see some businesses. We've got one on Whangarei who's a software company who couldn't exist without the ultra-fast broadband because they make all their software, they code it all, but they export 100% of it. And previously they would have had to burn those onto DVDs and CD-ROMs and actually post them or mm. courier them internationally. Mm. Mm. Now they can actually upload those on, onto the internet and send them internationally. Yeah, it seems that, uh, you know, I guess if we, we look forward a few years, it's a little bit hard to, you know, know exactly uh, what what things are going to look like. But it seems there are, uh, you know, the, the deeper we get into this, we see uh, you know, more situations where ultra-fast broadband is really going to become essential and people are going to be using it to do uh, new things, I guess, that, uh, you know, in the past they haven't been able to do with, uh, with our uh, slower ADSL internet. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't think it's something that's going to change overnight or within a year. It's a decade-type change in technology. If we go back a decade to 2001, you know, we launched flat-rate dial-up here in New Zealand at uh, 39.95, and people thought that was 
innovative back then and mm. uh, I don't know how many people now would like to be sitting on, on a 42 kilobits per second on flat rate dial up yeah. so you, you look at where technology's gone now and it was 42 kilobits and now we're at 4 megabytes so you sort of multiply the same sort of ratio you can sort of see where it might be at the end of, towards the end of the decade mm. and of course the digital natives today are largely the kids at school and they will be the ones actually more rapidly adopting these technologies in a decade's time as well mm-hmm. Now, um, uh, what are the prospects that you expect that we'll see um, to to uptake now that we've got telecom? Uh, you know, they've they've come on board as one of, I guess, the you know the bigger uh, or the biggest sort of player uh, in the um, uh, as an internet service provider. They've come on board with a retail offering. Um, I guess it's not quite the same as what we've seen from the other providers. Uh, Vodafone of uh, Russell Stanners has indicated that uh, you know that they're going to have something uh, this year as well. Is that really important to uh, you know to the uptake of um, of ultra fast broadband having the um, the big boys on board? Yeah, well, I think it's hard for people to buy services if there's not many people to buy it from. <laughs> so having, you know, New Zealand's quite a concentrated market at the retail level. You know, we've got two large players in Telecom and Vodafone. We've got a couple of small players in Core Plus and uh, Orcon. And then there's um, uh, an X-Tier, Snap and Christchurch and a few other people. So mm. you do need the major retailers in the market um, as a start just from a supply side. And then the thing that will really drive them is services. So if we look at Singapore... Now, a year ago, they were about 9% penetration mm. before Singapore, Singtel, which is the basically the telecom New Zealand equivalent mm. over mm. there. Mm. And then they entered the market with a well-priced um, triple play offering, which includes video on the network, internet, and uh, voice service, and they're now at 26% penetration. So having the big players enter the market and having the big players offer services that you know end consumers actually want to buy that really uh, differentiated on fibre that you can't run on existing networks. Um, if you look at the international experience, we don't know how it's going to play out here, you do see strong uptake mm-hmm. um, of services. It's um, to be determined what, exactly what the service providers are going to offer here and those additional services. But they both need to be in the market. You know, telecom's only been in the market for a bit over a month yet and mm. it's, it's not well advertised. And our coverage... Is about the same as what Singapore was about you know, two, three years ago. So you do need a bit more coverage because they do, the retailers like to operate at scale. Yeah, absolutely. You can imagine, uh, you know, telecom doesn't want to spend you know a huge amount of money advertising a service that's only available to a, you know, minority of its customers. Yeah. Well, by the end of this year, we'll be at about twenty uh, percent through the initiative. Oh, that's great. Um, so that's about quarter of a million end users or you know households businesses and schools who could have access to the to the network mm. and the following year that's up to like 430 odd thousand so you know it starts to get pretty big numbers fairly quickly mm. and the total number of premises that um well it's about it's, it's always hard to count them because people keep building new ones and <laughs> living true. in different ways and how we count a premise we include a multiple dwelling unit as a premise so for example a block of apartments or flats we count as one right so it's about it's it's about 1.2 million buildings that will actually pass which is 75 percent of the population mm. which is essentially all the urban population from auckland down to and including Greymouth. Now you talked about uh, triple play services driving demand uh, in Singapore as an, as an example. Um, are there many cases of uh, of that 
you know internationally uh, because it seems uh, I mean in New Zealand we just you know we're, we're quite limited in terms of uh, uh, services that really take advantage of ultra fast broadband uh, you know right now um, I guess we've got uh, um, the old uh, uh, Telstra Clear network where they've got you know phone, video, and uh, uh, internet services running over them, but that's really the uh, the only sort of example we've got in that sort of space here, isn't it? Yeah, if you look at the international markets, it's it's clearly if you offer the um, service with enhanced sort of um, television or video services on the network, either in a traditional sort of pay TV sense within a and if you look internationally with more and more high definition channels a lot of the high definition channels that we get here today um, we don't actually uh, deliver to standard definition because it's hard to deliver a lot of high definition on the satellite while on the fibre it sort of has an unlimited uh, capacity to actually do that Mm. if we look in North America you know the pay TV penetration on fibre is about 38% um, and that's offering not that you probably want it here but that's 650 channels <laughs> offered with 150 of those are high definition channels of which there's 30,000 movies on offering at any point in time and you can store the movie in the cloud so you can jump on a plane in Washington fly to San Francisco and then pick that up on your iPad and use their LTE or their new 4G networks that the American carriers have rolled out to actually watch that in your hotel room if you want to. Mm, mm. Um, but you've already downloaded a movie using your fibre and then that's the advantage is you can download it and then you can access it again later on. Right. Um, so there's a, you can see that happening. You know, the Malaysian example I talked about, that's also got a innovative triple play type offering. Mm. Again, those sorts of numbers. Um, and, and most of the countries who are rolling out fibre do actually have a form of video on it. Mm. Switzerland, you know, Sweden, um, Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan. Yeah. I mean, it seems <laughs> inevitable that you know we will get those sort of services here in New Zealand. Uh, you know, I guess what we don't know is uh, exactly you know what will be delivered and and when those things will be delivered. But uh, yeah, presumably it becomes much easier once uh, you know more of the population has access to uh, ultra fast broadband. Yeah, to scale. Mm-hmm. Now uh, you you mentioned there uh, you know the, the LTE or the four G uh, you know mobile data uh, services in the in the US. Often when I'm uh, you know talking with people around uh, access to high speed internet, the question uh, you know comes up you know why do we need uh, this fiber optic internet running to premises when uh, you know we're starting to see mobile carriers roll out this uh, uh, you know four G LTE which delivers some pretty fast. Uh, you know, speeds to uh, to mobile uh, devices. Can you um, sort of you know talk through that one? Yeah, sure. Um, how we sort of think about it, and, and if you look at the technology, is most fibre networks today end with a wireless transmitter on the end of it. So in the home, it ends with a, probably a Wi-Fi in the home. You're actually accessing that, except you will probably plug your cable into the TV because it's just going to give you a higher quality. Mm. And then when you walk down the street, the um, cellular tower, the mobile tower, which will offer the 4G services, will be fed by fibre. And then when you go to the cafe, you'll then switch back onto Wi-Fi, um, mm. also fed by fibre. So we see it as quite complementary. Fibre is, uh, if you deliver it all the way into the home or the business, is a dedicated technology, so you don't, you're not sharing your bandwidth with anybody. 
um, while you get into the mobile networks, you do actually share the bandwidth with whoever's on the network. So you can get really good, um, very high speeds on the 4G networks if you're the only person on that cell site at that time. Mm. It's a bit like when you're talking on a cell phone, sometimes you can't get onto the cell site because it's too busy and it looks for another one. So that's how it sort of works. So most areas are complementary. Most of the operators rolling it out are doing it as a complementary service. I mean, the one that actually works together with fibre into the mm. home and mm. packaging it like that. Uh, certainly that's what's happening in uh, North America and to a large degree in Europe as well. So we actually think that some people will actually take it as a substitute, particularly if you want to be more mobile, mm. things like that. And a lot of things there actually, it's much cheaper to deliver high bandwidth or lots of gigabytes for movie downloads on fixed fibre networks than it is on a cellular network. Um, so that's why you see here the data caps on the 4G are significantly lower than what they are on the fixed networks, even the um, existing broadband network or the new fibre networks. And you certainly see that internationally as well. Right. So, yeah, I mean, here we're looking at sort of 100 times plus, yeah. um, you know, the, the cost for, mm. you know, say, a gigabyte worth of worth yeah. of data on mobile compared to fixed. Um, and you're seeing that's pretty similar internationally, that, that type of situation. Yeah, because they can only get so much on to the cell site. You've got to remember, you, you pay a premium on mobile because it is fantastic technology technology because mm. you are mobile mm. Mm. you can walk around with it mm. well in the home you can't walk around with it but you can get more bandwidth and more dedicated bandwidth so that's a trade mm. Mm. yeah i think um i mean there there's uh, there's been uh, you know one of the things that's come up with with this discussion in the past people said well in certain countries you can get unlimited um you know, mobile data, and I was uh, uh, just got back from the US yesterday, actually, and uh, um, one of the the carriers I was uh, I was using had an unlimited plan, but uh, only a portion of that was at full speed, was at the four G speed, and as soon as you used up that certain uh, you know that amount, they drop you down to uh, uh, you know back to uh, you know virtually dial up type uh, type speed. So um, yeah, I think it's it's important for people to be a, to be aware. There's often uh, a little bit of fine print in these so-called sort of unlimited um, um, uh, mobile data access plans, right? Yes, that's how it sort of works. You know, the the, the speed on the uh, on the 4G networks is you know, much faster in the lower-dense areas than it will be in the high-dense areas because there'll be more users on the network. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, now, is there, is there anything else around uh, ultra-fast broadband that uh, that you think listeners might be uh, might be interested in uh, in hearing about, Graham? I think the main thing is uh, what's going to be happening over the next year is there's going to be a very strong focus on schools um, and government will be putting a lot behind that. And we think that's going to drive a lot of innovation uh, into the marketplace as the school students start to use these very high-speed networks. Yeah, I think that sounds like a, a you know a really exciting area from an educational perspective. If um, you know schools can connect together, maybe there are um, you know access to, to people that wouldn't normally come and 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 uh, and speak or, or present at a school, but uh, using ultra fast broadband, people could uh, you know tap in and, and someone flies into the uh, country or maybe doesn't even come into the country and, but can talk on a particular subject that could go across you know whichever schools around the country wanted to be a you know be a part of that whereas in the past you know i remember sitting in school and it was old uh, you know vcr tapes and 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 things there wasn't uh, you know much access to uh, um you know i guess uh, you know cutting cutting edge information put it that way 
Yeah, I think that's right, and I think you know it's only going to get more and more so as the children get you know more and more adaptive to the technology because they will adapt much faster. Mm. Um, particularly with lower cost tablets now coming into the marketplace, we've just seen a few of those actually launched internationally, and they will be coming here, so that will make the access device much more really. And by you know this time next year, well, nearly all the schools in the urban areas will largely be passed by fibre. Um, there'll be a few left, but not very many. So mm. we're talking mm. about you know, upwards of 90-odd percent. So a substantial amount of schools with uh, ability to access fibre, which will be great in that area. And then I think the other areas is business. You know, fibre can actually not only save businesses uh, money because they can actually converge all their services and centralise their computing and their backup, but can provide a lot of benefits to them as well. So... You know, a lower cost input there to our businesses is going to make them more internationally competitive, given an export economy. We think that's really key. Mm. Um, and, of course, the fibre will also help in the tourism sector, providing more high-speed bandwidth into hotels and motels for visitors coming in. And the government's got a sister initiative called the Rural Broadband Initiative. We're actually rolling out fibre to rural schools and fibre to large hilltop sites to be able to provide dedicated, in that case, wireless bandwidth into the um, school or the dairy farm. Um, and etc. to try and um, give them high speed bandwidth as much as we can in the uh, more isolated areas of New Zealand. Yeah, that seems to be uh, that seems to be quite a you know quite a key part, I guess, to sort of fill in the gap for those uh, those areas that can't get fibre directly, uh, you know, to the premises. And uh, uh, one uh, situation with a business that um, um, that I've been dealing with is yeah, out in one of those rural uh, rural locations, and they were really stymied as far as uh, um, you know, internet connectivity was concerned, and then they've been able to get onto that ultra fast uh, the um, the rural broadband uh, initiative, and uh, you know that's that's certainly helped, and I think they're looking forward to that becoming a four G LTE service so that they can get uh, you know even more more speed. So the key to that is the fibre getting out to those cell sites as as part yeah, of that, and, is it? And the towers, and the other thing is remember when we're talking about the four G network, it actually works very very good bandwidth on it if there's not a lot of people. On mm, it. Mm. And in a rural environment, you can actually, you're sharing that sort of um, tower maybe with only like 12 homesteaders who are all farmers or dairy farmers and things like that. Mm. So they can actually get almost some dedicated bandwidth mm. from those radio towers and actually, you know, quite acceptable levels of bandwidth actually mm. um, for what they actually need to do as well, which is quite critical because it's such an important sector to our economy, as opposed to in an urban area where you can have, you know, a lot of people within a two kilometre radius of a cell site, as opposed mm. to in a rural area where you don't have that many. Yeah. So yep. it does really work very well. And, and you know, in Germany at the moment they rolled out 4G in the rural areas and an average are getting 30 to 40 megabits per second in the rural areas mm. from mm. their LTE service. It was a condition of the tender and in Germany when they actually released the spectrum that's great mm. Yeah, I guess as as we see more, you know, because you know when you when you test uh, you know four G LTE around Auckland at the moment, you do get some quite reasonable speeds. Uh, but I guess part of the reason for that is that uh, you know most people aren't you know a don't have LTE uh, uh, phones and and b there's a price premium to get access to that service. So by default, uh, most users are sort of uh, are still sitting on the three G network, aren't they? That's right. Well, the early adopter is going to get a good benefit there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, that's great. Well, uh, thank you very much, Graham, for, uh, for for joining us here on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, great to get a, a um, an update on um, on the ultra-fast broadband and what Crown Fibre uh, Holdings is uh, is doing, and uh, to hear some of the uh, the stories from uh, from overseas. I think it's been probably twelve or eighteen months since we last uh, sat down and and uh, had an update from uh, from your organisation. Thank you for your time. Okay, thank you. Well, thanks everyone for listening in. Uh, that's it. That's me, uh, Paul Spain, signing out for this episode. Now, you can track me down online uh, via Twitter, at Paul Spain. And you can track down the New Zealand Tech Podcast at nztechpodcast.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Google+. And understand you can track down uh, Crown Fibre Holdings at crownfibre.govt.nz. And they're also Crown Fibre on Twitter. So thanks for listening. Catch you on the next episode. See ya.